Welcome to the Guardian Podcast with Ren Melberg. My name is Harold Nickel. Now, this week on the podcast, we will discuss user stories in Agile. The overall idea with these stories is that members of the team talk about what the customer wants and why. So, in a way, the user story is a way for the team to articulate what the customer wants, or at least that's the idea. But, Ren, I got to tell you, as a communicator, I have to say that this this sounds like it could be trouble <laughs> only because everybody, regardless of their training or their expertise, has a unique point of view and sees the world as only they can. Can a customer really trust that the team will not get off on a tangent during these user story discussions? Well, this break this down a little bit. So when we're talking about most types of Agile teams, and we've talked in other podcasts about how there's different types of Agile teams, Mm -hmm. most of us think Scrum team, but there are different types of Agile teams. That's not the only type. But um, all of them have a product owner who is the the voice of the customer on any Agile team. And it's really the job of the product owner who's really responsible for the user stories, right? And the content of the user stories. And to be honest, if the product owner is working with their agile team, and let's just for the sake of argument, assume scrum team, because that's the most common. um, It's very unlikely that the scrum team is going to get off on a tangent. Okay. Um, but let's kind of break down what is a user story and the history of user stories because user stories are not a universal agile practice. Okay. Scrum, for instance, does not, you know, prescribe user stories. They most don't even teach user stories. So if you go to the Scrum Alliance, you know, and you go to your certified product owner training, mm-hmm. they're not going to teach you user stories because it's not a Scrum practice. User stories come to us from XP, Extreme Programming. And the point of user stories is to get to TDD, test-driven development. Okay. And so when we think of a user story, what is it? It's one sentence describing what the user story is Mm -hmm. and acceptance criteria. That's it. The acceptance criteria is what we use to write the tests for test-driven development. Mm -hmm. So that acceptance criteria provides the parameters that the customer or the voice of the customer or the product owner need to keep the Scrum team focused. Okay. Does that make sense? Well, it does, yeah. Okay, so where we get into trouble, what I find and I've observed my experience has taught me that we get into trouble is when we add all this other stuff to user stories. Okay. And organizations that add things like business requirements and tech specs and UI requirements and all this other stuff, what I find is those are very distracting. Mm -hmm. Almost always make the user story larger than it should be. And 90-plus percent of the time, all that information should be in the acceptance criteria. And for some reason, they're not comfortable Mm. writing acceptance criteria. 
so it's not reflected there. Yeah, that actually does make sense. And um, I hear what you're saying. At the same time, I, though, have to get back to uh, what I know about um, interpersonal communications. And, you know, right. we all played the telephone game. And it's where <laughs> you have a line of people and you tell the first person a sentence and it starts out and it gets passed down the line. And at the end of the line, the sentence is way different than than what it started out to be. So how is it that user stories don't end up the same way? It's a really good question. And the truth is, if that it's, and again, we're just staying with the assumption we're talking about Scrum teams, but this is true for all Agile teams, mm -hmm. all types. If the product owner is not engaged with their Scrum team, mm -hmm. that will happen. Okay. Absolutely. And worse things <laughs> than that will happen. Um, and, and also, if we have this, um, if we're still using our waterfall, you know, strict roles and responsibilities frame of mind, mm -hmm. that will also happen. So I've been in organizations where you hear all the time, and I am sure you've heard this and the audience has heard this, mm -hmm. only the product owner writes user stories. Okay. Um, absolutely not true. Oh. Anyone on a team should be able to write a user story. Only the product owner can prioritize and groom the backlog of the user stories. Mm -hmm. That's their chief responsibility. But even that they don't do in a vacuum. Even that they do with feedback from the rest of the team. And user stories are best written either by the entire team mm -hmm. or with the team. So usually how I coach this is, especially if it's an existing product, have the product owner write up some user stories. This is what I think makes sense. Mm -hmm. Sit down and review them with the team and have the team react, um, you know, wordsmith it, mm -hmm. et cetera. One of the things that is critical is that all members of the scrim team are expected to do that. Mm -hmm. It's part of their responsibility to make sure that everybody has a consistent understanding of that user story and everyone has contributed to the acceptance criteria. And the person who's chiefly responsible for listening for inconsistencies and in understanding is the scrum master. Okay. But even Scrum Masters, I can't stand it. And I've seen this in organizations. Scrum Masters are told during this activity, which has got all kinds of names, by the way. This, what I've talked about as far as working on user stories, you'll hear it called user story grooming, user story refinement, um, story time, uh, story workshops. I mean, it's got so many different names. It's story ridiculous. time. But that it's, sounds nice. Story time. I know. <laughs> It, and it's hard to get an executive to take story time seriously, by the way. I don't um, yeah, that doesn't that one doesn't go over well. Um, but I've seen coaches and, and purists, especially scrum purists, will say the scrum master is not allowed to say anything about the user story. 
And I completely disagree. Yeah. I've seen so many scrum masters, especially over time, the more they work with their scrum team, the more insight they have, the more um, perspective they have, that when they see gaps or when they see redundancies or they see any issues, they need to speak up and say, hey, what about this? Mm-hmm. Um, and, yes, their chief job during this user story time is, is listening to make sure that everybody's staying in point, mm-hmm. which is often the hardest thing, keep them focused on a single user story at a time. Uh-huh. Um, but also to make sure they have that consistent under understanding and what this user story is because you're right if you don't then the product owner walks away going okay i have one understanding and you know the person who's going to do the development has another understanding and the person who's going to who's writing the test scripts has a different understanding and it's a disaster yeah sounds like it right and we avoid that by writing user stories together right the entire team and making sure that the scrum master, in particular, is listening to assure consistent understanding. Yeah, I think those are good points. Um, and it sounds like too, Ren, that it it takes the oh the the vagaries of or re, I'll put it another way. I think it reduces opportunities for misunderstandings. Is that fair? Yes, I, I absolutely agree. Okay. So, and talking about writing these user stories, how long would a typical user story be? And, and this is our typical agile answer. It mm-hmm. depends. Okay. <laughs> um, I usually say a user story should be as long as it needs to be. <laughs> okay, yeah. And my preference is to stay very lean and very true to XP processes and practices with your user stories, mm-hmm. which is you you stay with your one sentence mm-hmm. that is, as a user, I want to so that I can. As a user, That's all I you're want answering. to so I can. So that I can. So that I can. Okay. That's a good formula. And, and, it, and it's, we do it because it works incredibly well. And you stay very... In the goal in that sentence is to be precise yes. and concise. Yeah. That, so, right? Yeah. Because the more you add, the more ambiguity you add. Mm. Um, the more variables that you add, the more testing you add. So it's less likely that you're going to be able to get that user story completed in a, in a reasonable amount of time. Um, you know, so you want to stay pretty precise and concise with that one sentence, mm-hmm. and then you have your acceptance criteria, okay. and that should be it. Um, anything else? Like we've talked about working in regulated industries. Yes, just well, pretty much all my experience. <laughs> yeah, um, we attach design documents to user stories, but it's not written in the user story. And the reason is because the design, remember, is part of the work we do within the sprint. Okay. The user stories are written before the sprint. We don't design a user story before the sprint starts. Okay. So your user story should be lean and mean, you know, one sentence description, the acceptance criteria that you know, boom, you're done. Yeah, I I love... uh 
how concise that that formula is um, but even with that said is it still possible to write a user story incorrectly absolutely so another one of our agile sayings it's mm. uh, simple but it isn't easy oh, yeah that's right <laughs> that's right right it is hard especially when you're coming from a traditional waterfall world to break down the work into these user stories and these digestible bites of work. We're so think used to thinking in these big gloms of work that it's really hard for people in the beginning to get to these digestible bits. Um, and that's where I'll do um, user story mapping with people and, and really help them break it down. So that's that description. That description is hard for people to get to the right size for user stories to be precise and concise. The second part that's hard is acceptance criteria. Um, in the traditional world, remember, testing is done after you've developed everything. Mm -hmm. In the Agile world, we write the testing requirements before we've developed anything. Right, right. That's really hard for people to flip that in their minds um, mm -hmm. and uh, but if you do it right and especially if you use what's called the gherkin method um, which is given a particular situation when I do this then the outcome is this okay if you write it like that you can usually upload your acceptance criteria into most automated testing tools mm -hmm. and write your and it will help you write your test scripts quickly and easily Okay, well. So that's one of the reasons we do that. But it's really easy to screw up acceptance criteria by having too many criteria in a single acceptance criteria. Then the third way we write them incorrectly, I mentioned this slightly before, is by adding a lot of other stuff. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to work with clients and I've found like their user stories have somewhere between 7 and 20 fields. Oh, wow. And then they wonder why they struggle with delivery. You've got way too much complexity in there. You're violating precise and concise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right? And every time you add new variables or, or anything like that, you're adding complexity, you're adding risk. Mm -hmm. And so I always say if if you have more than two fields, on your user story, you probably just add a lot of risk to your user story. In every e e every additional field, that's an exponential amount of risk mm -hmm. to that team being able to complete that user story successfully. So you need to keep it lean and mean. Yeah, lean and mean. Shorter is better. And along those because lines. Because it's going for precision. Right. Yeah, right? that's right. Um, so let's talk about moving targets, which I very much dislike. Is it likely that, <laughs> that that the user story gets edited or changed after after the project actually starts? Um, and I think you mean after the sprint starts. Yes, that's and, right. Sorry. Uh, yes, and it should. Oh, okay. So remember, if we go back to our manifesto, one of the things that we 
um, ascribe to in Agile is that we are willing to make changes all the way up until the very last minute. Okay. That includes every single tool we use, uh, including user stories. The thing is that we have a defined way of doing it that we know is successful. So it's not like the product owner, while the team is working on it, can go, you know what? That's not what I want at all. I'm going to just completely rewrite this user story. No, that's not how it works. Okay. The entire team has to agree to all edits and changes. Okay. Most of the ones that happen, to be honest with you, are changes to the acceptance criteria. Well, we thought it was going to work this way, but you know what? When we got into design, we realized there's a better way mm-hmm. to accomplish the same thing. So you'll adjust your acceptance criteria. That is probably the most common. Or the other way, which is we get into design or we get into development, you know what? That's not going to work. <laughs> we have to do a different solution. So we need to make some adjustments to our acceptance criteria. Okay, no problem. Or we started working on this and we realized we're missing acceptance criteria. Mm-hmm. That happens a lot. And so you'll add acceptance criteria. If the description of the user story is changing, um, you know, frequently for a Scrum team, I that team needs to be rebooted. You need to have a user story workshop with them, and really work on it because the description, so the the actions that you need and the intent, the value that you're creating with that user story, mm-hmm. should not change materially. Hmm. That's the execution you can understand. Mm -hmm. But changing the business value of a user story is a problem. Yeah, okay. And it's worse, and I've seen this, if, and there's people listening to this are going to freak out. (laughs) It's worse (laughs) if your customer in the user story changes. Ooh, yeah, I can see that. Yes. So if your user user in the user story changes, there's some dysfunction, something's broken in the system, and you need a coach, and you need to stop and take a look at that and go, okay, what's what's happening here? Yeah, yeah. Or we like to say you need to retro that. Yes, Retro. <laughs> Great word. I love that word. So when we're writing these, is there is there a point of view or perspective that's needed for the user story? Sure, we try to, you want, as a product owner and as a business, you know, leader, you want every single user story to deliver defined value. Okay. Okay? It is, that that value needs to match to, to the user. Um, so, for instance, it wouldn't make sense to say that I, as a cardholder, want a user story that's going to deliver a regulatory requirement. Mm-hmm. Probably not. Probably not. But that's not a good match because most of the time I don't even know as a cardholder, I don't know what the regulatory requirement is, and I'm not going to be the one following up to make sure it's met, right? Right. No. So you want to match, make sure your user story and your business value match. Um, and that's why we have so many, you know, we'll have different personas. So even like cardholder, most of the time you're not going to have just generic cardholder. You're going to have 
student account holder. Mm-hmm. You're going to have government card holder. You're, you know, you're going to have different levels. So, you know, we have all kinds of different ones. We have premium and platinum and black and, you know, all these different levels of card holders, right? Right. Um, for credit cards. So you're, we're going to be that specific about who the perspective is being represented in this user story as much as possible, as much as makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, uh, that's a good explanation. And I, and you touched on this just now, but I still would like to know if there's a right or wrong way to write a user story. The right is defined by two things, chiefly, um, the successful, under, consistent understanding and ex- execution of the team. Mm-hmm. Second, how lean and mean is your user story? Okay. Okay. Um, wrong is anything that's not that usually. So, like I said, we look for replications of waterfall behaviors and user stories. User stories are not business requirements. User stories are not tech specs. Mm-hmm. Right. That means a lot of the design work has been done outside the sprint and not by the team who's going to be delivering the user story. User stories are not long documents. So if you have all these different fields that you have to fill out, like I mentioned, the one company that had almost 20 fields in the mm-hmm. user story, um, that's <laughs> just too many opportunities for risk and, and failure. Um, and fails are lean and mean tests by a lot, right? That's right. <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, 20, 20 fields is not lean or mean. Um, no, <laughs> no. And, and yeah, I can tell you, their user story workshops used to take, you know, more than an hour per user story because they had so much that they had to go through. And even when they would start working on a user story, they would have challenges. They would have to come back together as a team and rehash it because it was there's too much there to try and get a consistent understanding. Mm-hmm. And so there were always misunderstandings. Mm-hmm. Always. I can imagine. And... I guess, too, knowing that less is more in this space, at least, is is there a recipe or template that's available for user story writers? Most of what you'll see as far as recommended best practices as a template for user stories um, from XP, because remember, this is an XP practice that has gotten uh, kind of picked up by a lot of other parts of Agile. Mm-hmm. They'll have that first sentence description that I mentioned that is as a blank user, I want to blank so that I can blank. Okay. And then most of them use the Gherkin method for acceptance criteria. Mm-hmm. Again, it's just because it is you can um, upload your acceptance criteria into almost any automated testing tool and very quickly and easily have your test scripts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the given when then. So given that as user I'm doing X, when I do Y, then Z happens, right? right. So it's very, very simple and very straightforward. Um, 
those are the two things that we look for in in every single user story, mm-hmm. preferably in that format. Yeah, I think uh, in terms of template design, that's very concise and and straightforward. Mm-hmm. So for though, you know, somebody like me who's very much a novice, what are the symptoms or indicators of a bad user story? Um, the things we, as coaches, we look for all the time mm-hmm. is, is, is it really a user? Like, is it a persona mm-hmm. or is it a system? So okay. many times you look at user stories and it will say, as application ABC, well, software is not a person. So that's not a persona. Right. And if you don't know who the persona is, or as you like to say, who the customer is, yeah, that's right. why are you doing that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, we also look for too many variables in the description. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we see when I do A and B and C and sometimes D, then this happens. Mm-hmm. That's probably going to be a problem. That's going to be really hard to test. That's going to be a bit of a struggle to design. Mm-hmm. And like I said, we always look at the quality of the acceptance criteria. Is it precise? Mm-hmm. Is it something that you could upload into a tool and have test scripts? Or is the tool going to go, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> You've got too many variables in here. This is crazy. Right? right. Um, and of course, we look for all the usual um, suspects of traditional waterfall. Mm-hmm. Um, are there business requirement documents? Are there tech specs? Are there, you know, functional specs? You know, all that kind of stuff. It, we look to see if if that is embedded in the user story mm-hmm. um, or attached to the user story before the team starts working on it. Okay. And, and along those same lines, how how does feedback work with the user story, and how does that get implemented? Sure. So the feedback loop starts with the acceptance criteria. Okay. So it either meets the acceptance criteria or it doesn't. That's one yeah. of the lovely things about automated testing. There is no gray area, right? Right. I'm, and fair <laughs> the enough. The test right. passes or it fails. There's mm-hmm. no, right? There's really no real in-between. Um, there's some people who are flipping out going, but Rin, we get yellow status. Yellow status usually means that the environment's not ready, available, or the test data doesn't match or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. right. That doesn't count because you didn't really run it. You didn't run the test because <laughs> 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 you couldn't. Once you run the test, you get a red or you're green. <laughs> you either passed or it didn't. Um, and... That's what's really beautiful about that. Then remember, what's our next feedback loop? It's at the end of our sprint. Mm-hmm. When we do our sprint review and demo, that's a phenomenal opportunity, um, again, to get that fast, frequent feedback. So at the absolute longest, we're waiting a sprint mm-hmm. for feedback. But let's be honest, none of it, most of us don't get user stories done the first day of the sprint. 
Right. There's a whole bunch of people who just went, yeah, that, that doesn't happen. No, it doesn't. Your first user stories get completed usually the second or the third day um, of the sprint. So you're probably waiting a little bit, you know, longer than half a sprint for feedback. Not a big deal. If you're doing safe, mm-hmm. we have the system demo at the end of the sprint. Those are what we usually take directly to a customer or to a partner and and get feedback as well. And all of that is comprised of um, a group, a small group of user stories. So you're getting feedback on several user stories at the same time, which is really nice. It's a much yeah. more efficient process, um, you know, for your customers or your partners. Um, and they really like it. I'll be, I'll be honest, I haven't worked with a company on SAFE, you know, the scaled agile framework, where we did a system demo mm-hmm. to a customer or to a partner who didn't love it. Hmm. Well, that's You know, because it's a great opportunity for them to see your progress every sprint, so mm-hmm. basically every two or three weeks. Um, and they're part of the process because you're you're literally saying, okay, here's what we created, what do you think? Yeah, that's uh, that's a good way to get that that good old feedback. Mm-hmm. But with all of this in mind, um, what does the team then do with the final story? Um, I'm not sure what a final story would be okay. <laughs> because remember we always say, and this is true, um, we don't stop working on a product until we stop selling it. That's absolutely. What we've said, or what you've said, to be perfectly right. transparent, yeah. So a final story in that term would be turning it off. Okay. Um, you know, archiving data, or you know, th- those kind of things that you need to do to put a product to bed. Mm-hmm. Or we used to do in the credit card world. You take, you print one last card off. Mm-hmm. And we put it in a lucite box. <laughs> that mm. was the last thing we did, right? Because right. that would go into the museum. It's one of the things banks love, by the way. They almost all have their own museums. I did not know that. That you didn't know that? No. Especially the larger banks, the older banks. Hmm. There is an American Express Museum. There is a Visa. There is a Wells Fargo. There is a J.P. Morgan Chase Museum. And uh, when huh. we... When we shut down a product, so we, we're not doing that anymore, we really do take a piece of that product, and it usually goes into a display case or a lucite box or something, mm-hmm. and it goes into the museum. That is the absolute final story. Huh. Well, it's that, installation that, into the museum. Yeah, that's pretty final. <laughs> that's very <laughs> final, right? Yeah. It's done. Yeah. yeah, when it's in the museum, you're finished. Okay, well, that's... It's done. I had no idea. <laughs> So is it then... There's other industries who do that too, by the way, since I'm in Minnesota, the food capital of the world, literally. Right. Um, we do have uh, like Jolly Green Giant Museum. Um, we have a Hormel Museum. We have the Land Lakes Museum. There's a General Mills Museum, a Pillsbury Museum. They do it in food too. And you'll mm. see, you know, um, the, you know, the last production box of, you know, a certain food product or something. Huh. I had no idea that someday there will be the very last Pop-Tart. And 
That's a scary thought. You just scared people. Oh, sorry. That wasn't. That was. They're uh, like, no, podcasts are forever. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, Pop-Tarts and Twinkies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, okay, so I'll try to get back on topic here because you've got me thinking about pastry. Is it more or less likely than that the team gets the work done to the customer's requirements sooner when they're incorporating the, the user story? The We do know, because this has been me- measured, mm-hmm. and we know this scientifically, that agile teams, specifically scrum teams, deliver to market faster. Okay. They deliver higher quality, and they deliver to a higher customer satisfaction because of the feedback loop. Um, It's built into the user stories, but also built into the sprint cycle, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So we do know that that happens. Is it, can we lay all that on user stories and say user stories are why this is successful? Absolutely not. We can't, not at all. Because we do know that Scrum teams that don't use user stories meet or or actually satisfied all that before user stories. So I'll try to rephrase that because I got lots of my own wording. But some teams that don't use user stories already were beating traditional development to market, delivering higher quality, et cetera, higher Mm -hmm. customer satisfaction. What user stories do is they kind of bump all three of those up. Okay. So you get to market even faster. Okay, yeah. You get even higher quality. You get even better customer satisfaction and loyalty. So it just takes it a little bit higher. Um, And really in the software development world, anybody who goes agile falls in love with XP practices pretty quickly. Okay. Especially because of the continuous integration, the test-driven development that um, elevates your automated testing, those two things radically improve your time to market and your quality. Okay. And those are driven by your user story. That's why we do user stories. Remember, it's to get to that acceptance criteria so that we can upload it into our testing tool and we can have test groups quickly mm-hmm. and do our TDD. Okay. So how do you then ensure that what you decided was the deliverable is what eventually gets delivered. Right. And it's primarily the acceptance criteria. Okay. Secondarily, your sprint review. Okay. And TDD, so here we we are splitting the Agile baby again. Uh, Sorry, XP does not require or necessitate sprint reviews. Okay. Right? What they do strongly recommend is frequent sprint, frequent demos to your customer. Okay. And frequent deliveries of beta versions of things that the customer can play with and touch. Oh, okay. Again, we've decided that early at the beginning of this, we're going to talk about this in context of a scrum team. So scrum teams have sprint reviews. 
they don't have to use user stories, but that's the most common practice is that they use user stories. And more and more organizations, especially those who are looking at who are scaling, mm-hmm. so they have a lot of Scrum teams, recognize that you can't scale very well without XP. So you have to have your acceptance criteria and your user stories to have your automated testing and your test-driven development and your continuous integration, et cetera. Okay. So then what are the acceptance criteria of the user story and, and who decides that? Sure. The acceptance criteria is ultimately what we're going to test and validate to say that this user story is done, that we've okay. accomplished this user story. The initial acceptance criteria is written by the product owner. Acceptance criteria is written by the entire team, though, and the okay. entire team has to accept the acceptance criteria. Okay. Okay. Um, the if there's any disagreement, the uh, person who arbitrates that is the product owner. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the majority of the responsibilities on the product owner's shoulders mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to that, but the entire team really needs to write and hone and own the acceptance criteria. Okay. And and then, Ren, with the, with the time we have left, how, how does an Agile user story ultimately help to guarantee that the development team gets the assignment and the end results delivered correctly? I think it comes back to really having a crisp definition of what mm-hmm. that user story is supposed to accomplish so that the team can, and the product owner in particular, can say this is the business value we're trying to create with this user story. Or okay. once you've delivered it, this is the business value we did create mm-hmm. with this user story. That's why that description is so invaluable, and writing it well is invaluable. Um, because ultimately, that's how a team is their their success or failure is measured. Did you deliver the business value or didn't you? Mm-hmm. And can you clearly articulate what that business value was? Yeah. If you read a user story to a knowledgeable man, you know, member of management, and they look at you like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> right? Yes. You're in trouble. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I forgot to mention that earlier. User stories are really technical. That's a problem. If you can't read that description to your customer and your customer knows what you're talking about, mm-hmm. you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Yeah. Um, so that's one of the tests that I always do um, with my clients. And one of the reasons why having an external consultant as a coach when you have an organization that's struggling with something like user stories is going to take you leaps and bounds. I'm just going to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Spend the money because it will save you a lot of money in the long run. Yeah. Um, because especially hire someone who doesn't know your industry because that forces your product owner in particular to write the user story description in common language. Okay. Write it in, I always tell them, write it in English, damn it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> don't put in all this text speak because most of the time your user is not going to be, you know, a technical architect. Right. So if Harold can't understand it, 
That's not a well-written user story. You need right. to do some some work. And so you need to be able to have it so that you or I can read the user story, they can demo it for us, mm-hmm. and we can clearly see that was the business value you wanted and that's what you delivered. Good job, guys. Way mm-hmm. to go. Right? Right. If that isn't transparent, then you've got some issues. And the reason, so that's one of the reasons we do it. The other reason why we do it, mm-hmm. and we want it in English, not in text speak, is our technical engineers, our developers, et cetera, often get really into the code and forget that what they're doing is developing products for human beings. Mm-hmm. And what we found, and there's a lot of science and there's case studies to support this, that when there's a constant reminder of the user experience mm-hmm. that they're supposed to be creating, they actually create a significantly better user experience. I'll be darned. But when they're focused on technical design, and this is there's all kinds of where if you are bored and you want to Google the failure of functional design, mm-hmm. oh, there is so much out there. It's crazy. Because what they found is when developers are focused on how the system works, mm-hmm. it doesn't work very well for people. Huh. It works very efficiently for servers and networks mm-hmm. and stuff, but usually not very well for people. Yeah, that's, uh, that's well said. Um, and I like the part about uh, plain English and... Um, or, or at least conversational English. And I guess, you know, when I started researching this topic, I saw that a lot of user stories are written on, on, an, in, on an index card and that mm-hmm. just based on that size that it would make it simple. And I was never more mistaken. Um, <laughs> but now, thanks to you, Ren, I know that a user story should be small enough to be coded and tested within a single iteration and that that should really only take a few days and that longer right. Right. longer stories are called epics and no doubt we'll discuss those in the weeks to come. Right, and you remember user stories create features, features create epics, mm-hmm. typically. Right. And... We, you know, we didn't talk about it in this session, but we do have another podcast where we talked about why it's so important to break down user stories. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And to hear all of Ren's podcasts, you can get them on iTunes and you can get them also from her website, which is www.renmelberg.com. That's also the place to be in direct contact with Ren. And remember, too, to come back next week for another edition of The Guardian Podcast with Ren Melberg.